Thank you for listening to BLC Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more podcasts, news, and other events, please visit breakthroughlife.co.za. I just want to say, Dara um, mentioned the fact that you guys prayed for us a couple uh, months ago, and uh, I want to just give you feedback to, uh, with regard to that, because I think it went very well. Amen? We had uh, a, a meeting with the, both with government, uh, the, the president, as, as, a, as a government leader, as a state's president, but we had some, some harsh words that we wanted to say to him as a party leader, and so we also had a meeting with the with the with the with the meeting with the with with the top six, uh, at which uh, we we raised some of the anxieties and concerns that I'm sure you have, uh, and and so uh, all about how it is that we can finally break the back of corruption and and all of all of the the ways in which our institutions were eroded, uh, hollowed out in the last uh, several years. And so uh, you'd be delighted to hear that the meeting went very well. We, what we thought initially was going to be a pushback meeting where the, there would be denial and resistance. Uh, but you know when you walk into a room and you, you can see, first of all, the tension and the and the, and the heaviness in the room, and after a while you see opening up and you see confessions uh, from, from politicians who say, uh, mea culpa, you know, we, we, we accept the church, we, we, we have sinned. Uh, and some of them, uh, those that we least expected it from, said actually we, we have more confessions to make and we can't make it uh, in this in this forum, we'd like to say a one-on-one, -on -one. Uh, and so and I could see in that the spirit of the Lord at work, um, and and I know that people were praying, and I and I just want to say to you, thank you, that your prayers are, are, are really a a gift to us, and we are able to see the the, the results of that. Amen. Um, I'd like to talk to you today about the difficult task you face, you have, uh, which is all of us as Christians, we, we have a, a difficult assignment uh, from our Lord. We, we've been given a task to represent the kingdom of God that is coming. Uh, the kingdom of God that is obviously the kingdom from another world. We are supposed to steward that kingdom, we are supposed to represent it well, we are supposed to be a witness of it. Uh, and that's not easy. Or do you find it easy? Uh, it's a kingdom that we, we know it is coming, we know the Lord said he's coming soon. Uh, you know, someone was saying that, you know, you know that the... The Lord is a man because he comes into your life and sweeps you off your feet and then, and then says, I'll be back soon. <laughs> and then he doesn't, 
It doesn't come for thousands of years. But we know he's coming, amen? And, uh, and we live in a culture, in a world where everything major that is going to happen, everything that is important, we will see in the evening at, in the national television on the news. Everything that's considered important enough, enough for people to pay attention, it will be in the news, either in the newspapers, the News 24, the national television, CNN, BBC. But this one is not there. This thing that there is, a, a, there is coming a new kingdom is not there. So we live in a, in a, in a culture which doesn't expect the king to come. It doesn't expect a disruption of the, of the world as we know it. Uh, but we are delighted today that we gather here and we know that soon and very soon, the skies will crack up, the clouds will shift, and the Lord will appear. And he will come to announce the end of history as we know it. Amen? You look depressed. <laughs> you, don't, you don't want this world to end. Are you enjoying it? <laughs> but that's our joy and our privilege to be able to be a witness To announce to the world that there is a king. He died and he rose again from the dead. And he is coming again and he'll, he'll, he'll usher in a new kingdom. And even as he was still on earth, he said, that kingdom is already with you. It's pro provisionally with you. And uh, after he rose... From the, from the dead, he, did, he said, I want you to be witnesses of this message of the kingdom. Uh, that's one of the, the best privileges, uh, the best titles, or the best words that describe the trust that the Lord has on us. You know, we, we, we call God many names. We call him our Savior, we call him our uh, Jehovah, Shama, we call, him, we call him all sorts of names that describe the different attributes that, that we, we know him to be like. But he also calls us names. He calls us a chosen people, royal, royal priesthood, all of that, but my favorite one is this one where he says, you are my witnesses. In other words, he's entrusting the revelation of who he is to us. And we are meant as Christians to witness to a world that hardly believes that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, that he's a king, that he has a kingdom. 
and that we should do it in ways so compelling that there will be no doubt left. And it's a task and an assignment that you can't simply carry out by saying, here's what I believe, here is the statement of my faith, or here's the apostolic creed. Because to demonstrate that Jesus is risen, is Lord, is alive, is among you, there's an expectation that we will be able to do the things that he did. Amen? Uh, we will be able to manifest the life that he lived. Uh, and, and that is, again, what it is that I want to talk to you about, that to be able to do that, you and I have no choice but to be strong. Uh, I'm going to ask that we read Ephesians chapter 6, only one verse, verse number 10. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. If you got a real Bible, not the ones that are electronic. It's page 1069. It says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Finally be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And then he goes on obviously to talk to this, to this congregation in Ephesus about how to be strong. He tells them about the, 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 the armor of God that he uh, that they sh should put on, and he explains that it, the reason you must be strong is that you you have an enemy. You do not fight against flesh and blood; you fight against principalities and powers. You fight against unseen powers in the heavenlies. And that's why you must be strong. And that's why I must be strong. And this is not even only applicable to those of us who are believers or who are Christians. The enemy is there even for those who do not believe. In other words, the enemy that you and I face doesn't require us to believe that he is there. He is there whether we like it or not. I attended a few, as part of the work I do, I attended the, the, the Dutch Reformed Church as Synod. Any of you Dutch Reformed? A couple of years ago. And when I was there, I arrived at a time when they were discussing this question. Does Satan really exist? Or is it a, a projection of our imagination?
And then they went on and, and on and talking about how it is quite possible that Satan isn't real. So finally, when I got up to speak to them, I said, I really worry that you say that Satan is not real. I encourage you to really lower your voice when you say that, because I don't want him to hear you. <laughs> because if he does, Satan is a drama queen. If he does, he doesn't want to feel ignored. He will do something crazy and radical. And just a room full of Africana, Dominis and so. And I say, you know what happens when Satan does something crazy? He causes some havoc on earth and is often directed at black people. <laughs> if there's a flood somewhere in Mozambique where, you know, Black people suffer, and we didn't do anything. But you are the ones who said he's not there. Whether it's HIV, it hits Africa more than every other continent. Just because you say that he's not there, now we have to suffer. So I, you, you must really, don't raise your voice when you say he's not there. Once I was telling a politician, and I was saying to him, one of our guys in the church had led someone to the Lord, and this person used to be a Satanist. And part of what he used to do, or she used to do, was to cause accidents. And uh, she would stand in a strategic uh, crossroad and put a spell on cars, and uh, they would just cause an accident, some out of the blue. This was her job. And uh, she used to do this, um, I think a grand grandmother had recruited, had recruited her into this, and. And she was tired of it. She wanted to, to get out. So prayed for her. It was released. So I, I tell the politician that you know this arrive life story that government is doing. <laughs> uh, you probably want to include churches in helping you end road uh, fatalities because there, there are spiritual dimensions to all of this that you don't have a clue about. And then uh, he said to me, uh, you got a point. Show us where the devil is, we'll arrest him. <laughs> <laughs> now all of this is a, is a way of saying to all of us that the reason you and I must be strong is that you have an enemy that is big and he has mischief planned for you. you. You have an enemy who has every intention to, to hinder you in your progress. 
in your journey. You have an enemy who would like to destroy your faith. You have an enemy who would like to hinder your influence on those around you so that you encourage them for evil rather than for, for good. You have an enemy who would like to, to cause all manner of harm. Paul talks about in, in that chapter of Ephesians that the enemy is even now fashioning arrows, sharp arrows to shoot at us. It's not only sharp arrows. He puts them in the fire so that the sharp end can be fiery and hot so that when it strikes, it causes maximum pain. Have you seen that text in Ephesians 6? That the reason you must have a shield of faith is so that you can have, you can shield yourself against the fiery arrows that the enemy shoots at us. But that's the reason that Paul talks to, our, to, the, to the Ephesians, and I think he referenced, he talks to us also, that there is a need for us to be strong. And there are many of us who are weak. There are many of us who are weak sometimes because you score own goals. <laughs> but there are some of us who are weak, structurally weak. In other words, you, you are weak because you, you, you do routinely those things that will make you weak. For example, I was talking with a friend of mine and said, you know, the, the, it's the thing about the way we build our homes, I don't know about you, but in our living room, the, the, the most comfortable place in the house, there is also a TV in that house, in that, in that room. Is it the same for you? That means the longest amount of time people will spend in this comfortable place, there will be a complete stranger who will address them every day for hours on the television. And no, he doesn't ask for permission what he must talk to you about. He will talk to you about what makes business sense for the producers, for, for everybody else but you. And so many families, almost the architecture of our homes, the way we build our homes, the way we furnish them, almost puts a default position on the choice of being weak. But it, it gets worse. Even the whole industrial environment in which we live, <laughs> I don't know about you, um, from morning till the afternoon, you go to work. 
Some people wake, wake up very early at 6 o'clock in the morning, some even earlier. And you go work for somebody. <laughs> and when you are tired at the end of the day, they say, go home and rest. And when you feel better, tomorrow come back. <laughs> the whole day, the whole week. Now, that doesn't give you enough time for prayer, doesn't it? It doesn't give you enough time for spending time with the Lord. You have to improvise. You have to figure out how you must build it into that life. But the environment is such that unless you figure out how to crack the system, your whole week is taken, is taken up by forces beyond your, your control. I'm not saying you should not go to work. <laughs> we, you, we must go there. We must. I'm only saying we have to be creative in figuring out how to be strong even if we do not do what the early church did. They say in the book of Acts, they said daily, they met, gathered together, teaching of the apostles, signs and wonders, all of these things, daily. Uh, and we look at the, read the book of Acts and we wonder, what, how come they were strong? And how come we are like this? It is because we are structurally programmed to be weak for the benefit of who? of our enemy. He can deal with the church that has watched TV all week. <laughs> and so, no wonder Jesus, the worst night of his, of his life here on earth, Asked his disciples, I want you to pray because this is the worst time ever. Pray because if you don't, you will fall into temptation. They slept. Almost as if they were not aware that principalities and powers had a dark cloud gathering around them to destroy the Messiah. Mischief is always the plan of the enemy. And so he says, pray, but they were so oblivious of it. And I wonder if this is the same with us, whether we are oblivious of the enemy's plans. Or you are like that politician who says, if he's really there, tell us, we'll arrest him. But the danger that we face as, as Christians, and the reason that we will be unable to bear witness to this kingdom that is about to come, this kingdom that Jesus says, you are sons and daughters of this kingdom. You are the 
the witnesses that I have, you are the plan B of God, that you should be a witness to this culture, to this world, so that what they see as a permanent way things will ever be, that that is not true, that Jesus is coming and that he is already here. And so if the world asks, but how do we know you're telling us the truth when you say the kingdom is coming? The only way to be a witness to them is to demonstrate the reality of that kingdom in the present. In other words, in our integrity, we live in a world that doesn't know what integrity means, doesn't know what holiness means, doesn't mean what it means to live a life that has turned its back on sin. Sin is normal. Sin, sin is the culture. We live in a world that if you don't sin, you have to apologize. It used to be that if you sin, you are the one who must apologize. But now, if you don't sin, you must ask for forgiveness from the culture. And so integrity, holiness is unknown. And so the only way to demonstrate that the, there is a king coming and that king is holy and what you see in me is a way that you, will, uh, you can be sure that there, there possibly is a king coming. But the other way you can demonstrate that there's a kingdom coming is to demonstrate the powers of that kingdom. And that's the reason that I love Breakthrough Church. Uh, that you have this insistence, this conviction, this commitment to demonstrate through signs and wonders that Jesus is right here, right now. It says something to someone who doesn't believe that it means that Jesus we last saw buried in Jerusalem actually is alive. Because I know Daryl. Daryl is not a magician. Daryl is, is not a... How come... How come he does these things that we used to read about that Jesus did? The only way to explain it is that Jesus is back in action through him. And that means he possibly is telling the truth when he says the king is coming. I'm just, these are just signs to say to you, wake up. Don't let this world deceive you and lull you into a sleep. But another way to demonstrate that another kingdom is coming is if we undermine all of the logic of the enemy in our lives. In other words, if there is, for example, racism. If racism continues to have the last word in our society, it means we are completely co-opted by this kingdom, by this world. We live the way that this kingdom says to live. 
and we do not represent the possibilities of the next kingdom. And I believe as church, we are called to rebuke the logic of this world, the idea that God loves some people and not others, the idea that some people are superior to others, that in Christ there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither male nor female. All are one in Christ. And if we live in a way that demonstrates a, a, a logic that is so contrary to what the world knows as normal, the world will suspect you might be right when you say the next, the, there is a kingdom coming. And so I believe that is the task. And that's the reason you and I must be strong because only strong people will be able to do that. Only strong people will be able to steward the revelation that our Lord Jesus Christ gave of these things to be true. And so in the Bible we find many examples of how it is that people became strong in the Lord. Let me give you two. The first one is, is a New Testament one, if you think about St. Peter. Peter, the Lord said to him, because he could see how strong Peter was, or how weak, and he knew Peter meant well. And he says to Peter, Peter, before the cock crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said, never. Lord, I will never deny you. I love you. You are Lord. You are the Messiah. These other ones, I suspect they might betray you. But me, never. <laughs> Peter thought he was strong. He thought, and it's the kind of strong we must not be. It was a strong of the flesh. It was a strong that depended on our wisdom. It was a strong that depended on our muscles. It was, it was a strong that depended on Peter, Peter's uh, ingenuity, skill, wisdom. And Peter, and the Lord said, you will deny me. And when the moment came, a little girl asked Peter, do you know that man? Peter said, never seen him, never. Asked the second time, your accent betrays you. It looks like you and Jesus are in the same WhatsApp group. Denied it the second time. The third time, and the, cock crew, or the, the, the prophecy of our Lord Jesus Christ was fulfilled. Peter remembered, turned to look at Jesus. Their eyes met. There was no condemnation in, in the Lord's eyes because he knew 
Peter doesn't understand what strength meant. He was strong in himself, and Jesus is calling us to be strong in him. And so, if you are strong today, and you're strong in yourself, I'd like you to change your mind. That strength will disappoint you. Rather be strong in the Lord. Let's take another one, Old Testament. A guy called David. I think Dan shared shared beautiful story about David. David, as you know, he encountered Goliath. He went to the battlefield, had Goliath swearing at God. Rage came over him. He went to Saul and said, Oh, king, I can, I can deal with this problem. The king looked at him, and he, he was just a handsome little boy, no military experience, hadn't killed a soul, innocent. And Goliath, on the other hand, was a military veteran, had killed many people, smelled a lot of human blood, a ruthless killing machine. David insisted, I want to do this because no one has the right to insult the armies of the living God. Finally, Saul relented, allowed him, but he said, I'll give you my combat gear. At least that way it will raise the stakes you will be able to stand a chance. David tried the combat gear from Saul. Couldn't walk. Said, I'm not used to this. I think that David was telling Saul that there's another way I'm used to. There's another way of being strong. And I've, this is a test, tried and tested way of being strong. I've seen it in the way that that bear died under my hand. There was also a lion that died under my hands. And I think this giant will go the same way. So I have a tried and tested way I do these things. And so he was allowed to go in the tried and tested way. He went up against Goliath, took a little stone and threw it, almost like that little boy who gave his five loaves and two fish to the Lord Jesus. Remember the story? outnumbered by far, 5,000 men, excluding women and children. They counted that day, that way in that day. They counted the men, the women, even if they ate the bread that the Lord made, they, it didn't count. They couldn't testify that I was there. I really ate the bread from the five loaves. I was one of 12,000 people. They wouldn't believe it. Tragedy. 
point I'm making is that when you give it to the Lord and he's your strength, the bread multiplies and the same with the stone that David threw. When he threw it, I think even before he started to run towards Goliath, everyone looking might have thought, this guy is dead. His brothers looked at him, he is a dead man, we are going to have a funeral at home. Goliath thought the same, many of the soldiers in Israel thought the same, but I believe that heaven thought differently. That if you were to overhear the angels in heaven talk about this contest between Goliath and David, you'd probably hear something like this. That Goliath is a stupid man. <laughs> he doesn't stand a chance against that boy. That, there is no way if you see what they see in heaven, if you see the odds, you know who will win. It's an unfair contest. Because the angels of God were with, with David. He threw that stone. Here's how I believe it happened. You can disagree with me, but I believe it happened this way. That as this stone flew through the air, and if it was threatening to lose speed before it hit target, the angels accelerated it. And if it threatened to change course at an angle, the angels pushed it. <laughs> if it threatened to go higher, to miss the head, the angels pushed it down so that it hits target. And so that's, and David knew what it means to call labor with the Lord. To achieve great things for the Lord, to call labor with him. But what was his secret? And I'll close with the, the, what I believe to be the rhythms of David's life that made him strong, which I think it will be good for us to pick up also on our, on, on our own and become, in a sense, you know, you don't become, if you want to be fit, you don't become fit by the way I do it. I gym once every three months. If you do that, it will be a very long struggle. You have to do it every day. And so, a couple of things that David did, I believe, routinely, the rhythms of his life. He built himself in, in the Lord. His faith, his faith in the Lord was a very important thing. He did everything he could jealously to keep his faith in the Lord. He trusted the Lord. And so what he says to Saul in that story about how he killed the lion and the bear, and he, he always is careful to say the Lord. 
And I believe those of us who believe that David killed Goliath, if he was here, he would say, think again. God killed Goliath. And so to have God in your life in that way is an important way, and that's why if you think about it, if you look at your, your daily schedule, if you wake up in the morning, go to work, whether you are a company CEO and they make you work 18 hours a day and they pay you a lot, they do pay you a lot. But you have to give them your faith. You have to give them you. And they will give you money in, in return. And you will think it's a good deal. But if we preserve and guard jealously those moments with God, where we spend time in the word of God, time in prayer, time in worship, Strength will happen to us. Strength will come. And, uh, and I believe that that's how, if you read the Psalms and you hear God, David's habits about how he became strong, you, you read moments where he said he strengthened himself in the Lord, encouraged himself in the Lord. And David was is an amazing songwriter. Uh, and he would spend time worshiping the Lord. And I suspect that's part of how his strength came. So his faith, his worship. Thirdly, he also, we read in the Bible, even as he charged against David, uh, Goliath, he says this. He says, Goliath, Because you have insulted the armies of God, today you will know that there is a God in Israel. And the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. So David had you and, and, and I in mind that we would know that there is a God in Israel. I wonder whether you live your life like that. You live a life in a way that others can look at you and say there is a God who loves people. I wonder if you live your life in a way that demonstrates that another kingdom is coming. I wonder if you and I live a life that guarantees that uh, the generation that God has given us gets to meet the Lord and encounter him as savior. David had that in mind and he lived his life in a way that seeks to demonstrate that. And I think we as a church and as individuals, as Christians, we have this, and that's the reason I believe we have to be strong. We have this challenge to confront an unbelieving world with a claim that there is another kingdom. It is stronger, better than this one. There is another Lord who is king who, before whom all knees will bow and all tongues confess 
that he is Lord. We have an obligation to live our life in strength. In other words, weakness is not an option. Even though we, the whole environment in which we live is set up, sets us up to be weak, we've got to find out how to beat that system and strengthen ourselves in the Lord. I'd like to close, close it there by saying I, I pray that each of us, whatever our story is, whatever it is that you're battling with, whatever it is you wrestle with in your own life, I know it is a hard thing being you. It is a difficult challenge to be yourself. You only know what you're going through in your life. Only you know the troubles that you face. Maybe you're struggling uh, with God for something or you believe in God for healing and it just doesn't seem coming. Maybe God is calling you to do something and you don't see how you'll ever be able to do that. Maybe you are uh, unemployed or you are employed and things are bad at work. Whatever it is that you're struggling with, only you know how hard it is to walk in your shoes. And that's perhaps the reason the Lord would like you to allow him to make you strong. And I'm going to ask Donald to come up and pray for us uh, so that the Lord may really help us to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might.